It is better to think of church in the alehouse than to think of the alehouse in church. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast, a special Thanksgiving episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing? Doing good. It is Thanksgiving break for me. Just wrapped up a nice work day, so it's good to indulge on this Tuesday afternoon evening i guess now um in for some beer some good times with friends to be had this week so it's good doing good how about yourself doing really well we actually did thanksgiving saturday so we've already done it but that's what happens when you have split families you can't uh, well, that's, sometimes it happens actually, but that's not a, that's yeah, not really somebody's true. Somebody's with the in-laws, somebody's with the other. That's right. Uh, so yeah, for us, uh, some of the granddaughters were going to be with somebody else on Thanksgiving, so we just did it on Saturday along with uh, one of their uh, birthday parties. Round folded it up into a big day, and so we had our turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and sweet potato souffle and all the other stuff we do on thanksgiving so we got a bunch of family recipes we do i have to say the turkey i did this year was outstanding nice uh i brined it for 24 hours yeah and then i added a ridiculous amount of butter underneath the skin under the breast and then um put olive oil on top of the skin in order to crisp it up so and nice. then cook, cooked it uh for the prescribed amount of time cooked for about six hours i think at 375 and it came out when when it was done cooking uh, i was like i don't know if i'm gonna get this bird out of the <laughs> we use a roaster we don't use the oven because the oven's cooking all the other many things we're cooking so uh oh and the other thing i did i to this date had never stuffed a turkey i just cooked the turkey oh sure so i never stuffed it with stuffing uh we have a cornbread stuffing recipe that you just do on the side but this year i thought you know what i'm gonna actually try stuffing this bird so i did that came that came out really nice um so yeah when it was done i thought i don't know if i'm gonna get this bird onto the platter to get to the table and it took three of us not because of uh uh weight but it just took three of us to keep that thing from falling apart out of this so that was a good sign i knew we were in for a good turkey because man just over the years turkeys can be hit and miss and there's nothing worse than a dry turkey for a while there i was like please everyone just want ham but this one i nailed so i think i got it down yeah see i'm not a big ham or turkey guy uh i think you're absolutely right like turkey just there's nothing worse than dry turkey and i think like nine times out of ten it's always dry i don't care if you deep pit it i don't care if you like whatever and it seems like it's never consistent from year to year it's like yeah you're like oh that was gold this year and then next year i was like i'm excited to see what you say for next year because usually it's just like yep it could be it's just <laughs> what happened and then, and then it turns out that your turkey's like 
five ounces lighter than last year and then apparently you get to dry it all to hell again because <laughs> i like i don't like either so what we do in my house because again there's only two of us is we just roasted chicken so um we do a bird um and roast chickens are delicious so if you don't enjoy a good roast chicken every once in a while i'm sorry i have so. a roast chicken recipe it you roast it at 275 i think for like six hours it slows it cooks really slow and man the same thing that the bird when it comes out is just falling apart everywhere so. yeah i think i do something similar but we blast it at the beginning i think with mm-hmm. to crisp the skin up so you hit it with that 500 to for like a cup maybe like 10 minutes i don't remember what the recipe is it's like 10 minutes or so maybe 20 minutes and then it crisps over and then you just drop it all the way down to whatever and then just let it cook there for a while and enjoy its time so yep. and then you make a nice chicken gravy out of it for your mashed potatoes afterwards so yeah it's good stuff so i and i'm also not big in a thanksgiving food if i'm being honest like uh everybody's like oh i love thanksgiving i don't like stuffing i don't like cranberry sauce i don't like sweet potatoes i don't like um i barely like probably within the last like year or two have like been okay with mashed potatoes like i like them now um but like it took a long time for me to like those um a green bean casserole i like green beans but i don't want oh green we don't bean do green bean casserole uh <laughs> my i use a recipe my dad came up with you just take uh you take canned beans you throw them in a slow cooker oh yeah um and then in a skillet you chop up you bacon. fry up bacon uh or you cook bacon however you want to do it and then you throw some uh the bacon grease into a pan saute uh onion and then throw that into the uh, bacon and then just let that cook for that's as long as you want that's literally what we had today at uh i'm a part of the academy of hospitality at menachee high school which is um we are um we're a cooking pathway we're a culinary pathway um and so kids get to um so as a part of high schools now you get to choose a track if you want to be a part of a track um and in Porterville, it determines what high school you go to. So before, when you're in junior high, they'll screen you and they'll be like, hey, does any of these sound interesting to you? Um, and you can switch out of them if you want to. Um, but like, so some people go to Granite Hills because they were wanting to be a part of the criminology pathway and that kind of stuff. On our campus, we have a couple, um, and one of them is the culinary um, pathway. And so uh, we have two uh, industrial kitchens um on our campus as well as um some home kitchens uh and so today we made um as our way of saying thank you to our kids for being awesome uh, we made them a thanksgiving day meal um the teachers did so uh, we had potatoes um and uh we had green beans that were cooked the same way it was just it was canned green beans bacon onion um we tossed it all together and then uh we made turkey for them as well so um, that was for them in some roles. I, I say we made it. Uh, our two culinary teachers um, made a lot of the stuff. I did some prep work with them this morning. Like I melted butter for them to put over the potatoes for them to cook in. Um, I was like, I cut pies this morning. Like, that was, <laughs> like I didn't do much, but um, it was – I thought it was fun just as us as a staff to get together and do stuff for the kids. Um, was kind of a cool thing. So, um, 
So it's just funny that your recipe is basically exactly yeah. what they made this morning for the green beans. So I was like, oh, that's crazy. Because they were like, yeah, we're doing canned green beans. And then this just, this sparked a conversation between the staff over whether or not fresh green beans or canned green beans was better. And I was an outlier that said that fresh green beans were better than canned green beans. So I was like, oh, all right. I think for that, it's I don't think it makes much of a difference. But if... If I'm if I'm gonna make green beans, my preferred way is like in the oven, broiled. I just like green beans. Like I like green fresh. beans broiled with bacon. And some people are like, I don't like squeaky green beans, and I'm like, I'm like, because they're like it's not even like cooked all the way. And I'm like, well, honestly, I like squeaky, squeaky yeah, I green too. beans. I was like, I like them. So I was like, no big. It's just how I like. I don't know. I grew and everybody was like, "Well, I grew up on canned green beans," and I was like, "I did too." I don't think it was until I was like in high school that my mom all of a sudden got fresh green beans, and I was like, "Holy hell, these are delicious! <laughs> we should have these all the time." So tomorrow night, my uh, wife's uncle has a—he always has a Thanksgiving Eve party. He invites his neighborhood, and then his friends and work uh, colleagues and family. And uh, he has a big deep pit in the back of his backyard, a cement deep pit. So you come over, you bring an hors d'oeuvre or two and some alcohol, and you all get together and uh, see people you see once a year. And in case of my aunt, my aunt and uncle and family, you see family, of course. And then you bring over uh, however much meat as you want. And uh, so tomorrow night we're taking over a four-pound, I think, chuck roast, whatever the... The nice. really nice meat store we have in Visalia told me was the best thing for a deep pit. So uh, we will throw that in there and eat that on Thanksgiving Day instead of the turkey. The remaining turkey we have, I decided I'm going to make turkey chili out of. Nice. Is that so, why it smells like turkey in your house? No, it's because I've taken the carcass and I've been slow cooking the carcass for two days trying to get all the boat all the, oh, nice. everything out of the bone marrow and everything for use some as some kind of stock either for something we cook i might use it as the base for the chili or uh sometimes i add just drizzle some of that stuff on the dog's food dried dog food just to kind of give them something more flavorful to eat so i love making stocks my wife hates it when i make stocks though because usually um, I don't believe in doing the whole like two day, 48 hour stocks. Mm -hmm. So I need gelatin quickly. And so that means going out and buying chicken feet. And so oh. like my <laughs> wife like is like, that's freaking disgusting. And I'm like, I don't know what you want from me. Like this is where you get like really good gelatin from really quickly. So, yeah, uh, but she's like, no, nah. like, okay. but it makes really good stock. So, yeah, <laughs> I was like, nice, fatty, good stock. So, but. Danica prefers it when I get all of the fat out. I said that's the whole that defeats the whole purpose. So you know, I made a so there's a really cool recipe book out there if anybody's interested. Um, it's called Let's Make Ramen, um, and it's uh and it's written like a little like comic book. So it's like but the the guys who wrote it are like really into they really know ramens they know their stocks they know their meats and all that kind of stuff and and they tell you kind of the history of a lot of it. And they teach you kind of how to make some of these stocks. And so the two main stocks that go in with uh, with ramen, and usually it's a blend, is a chicken and a pork stock. Mm -hmm. And so 
I made the chicken stock and, and you let it sit overnight and the fat builds up. And so, but as a part of ramen, you want to save the fat. So you don't, they're like, it's not necessarily supposed to be, you don't want all that fat in the broth. So you go and you scoop all, so I have to go the next day and I have to yeah, scoop all the scoop fat the off the top. top. Off, but yeah. And then you save it. So you freeze it. And then you, whenever you make the ramen, you put in like a teaspoon oh, okay. of the fat in at the bottom. Um, and then you put in the broths and that kind of stuff. And so, it, because fat is an element when it comes to stocks and broths that give you that kind of mouth feel that you're really, that really dense mouth feel that you're really looking for with those. And, um, but the pork stock was really funny because Audrey nearly threw up because <laughs> so like chicken stock, you, you freeze it overnight, you, you show up the next day and it's just the fat that's just on the top. Yeah. Uh, pork stock, especially when you use like the hooves and all that kind of stuff, the chicken feet and, and all that the next day it's jello. It's just pork jello it's all it is that's what your stock is is it's jello and then i mean like once you put it on heat it'll be it'll be liquefied in right in 60 seconds but audrey was like <laughs> like and i was like it's just freaking like it's the same thing as yesterday no i can't i can't it just like ran away and i was like okay whatever and i'm over here like freaking like slopping it into into the containers and stuff so uh, kind of interesting. I love making stocks. I think that they are, um, it's kind of something that not a lot of people do anymore. So props to you for keeping your car. Yeah. It was something I was, I, when I was watching a lot of Gordon Ramsay and he talk about how you're an idiot, basically just wasting money and really important stuff that everybody should have in the kitchen. If you're one who cooks, I mean, if you don't cook, then it's fine. But he's like, if you're, a, if you were somebody who likes to cook, you're an idiot if you just take a chicken carcass or or any kind of bird carcass and just throw it yeah, away. Yeah, but he's also a guy that like that's what he does for a living, so I know, but once he shows you, you just throw it in there. If you got a lemon, throw the lemon in there. If you got an onion, you know, just throw some stuff in there and then and if you don't, you'd still just boil it down, slowly boil it and, you know, keep adding water. Keep and... adding water and keep till you, you know. So, it's look. Yeah, I know. It's but... easy for me cuz I work out of the house, so I can just Oh, that's fair keep it i'm just more saying like i can't go to work and just leave the stove on for you know yeah, no. <laughs> you know it's just like that's not responsible so <laughs> uh so for him is like oh you're throwing it away and i'm like not really like it's just not well you can save it and we'll do it like on a saturday if you're around the house but anyway yeah but even then like like what you were saying is with the carcasses and stuff if you're doing if you do carcasses and you're not doing it the fast way, which is again, you got to go buy chicken feet, and you got to buy. Yeah, mainly it's mainly chicken feet. I was like, with the porks, or with pork, you need like the jaw bones or the, the like the stuff around the neck, and mm -hmm. then you want their hooves, um, as well. But you also want chicken feet in there. Oof. As well. Um. So do you go RN for that? Yeah, I go to RN for that. Um, and that's good stuff. Uh, and then yeah, apples are kind of like a weird thing that you need to toss in there. I don't know why. For pork? For pork and for chicken. It's kind of this weird I'm thing. I don't know. I don't know why. That was like, it probably has to do with, because again, you put that green onion kind of stuff in there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't know why apples, but they were like adamant in the book. They were like apples. Green apples? Red apples? Does it matter? Red, it's a red apple, I believe. Hmm. So, I don't know. Something to try out. But, um, yeah, so I've got freaking stocks coming out my ears but i only make them i was like i make it like once every six months is all i need to do um 
because they don't use it every single day. So, I mean, if you go to the store and you buy chicken broth, also this is something that needs to be said. When you go to the store and you buy chicken broth, you're not, you're not getting a stock. You need to know that right now. Is that right. even if it says chicken stock on there, it is, it is not made from chicken bones is what you are having right there, which that's the part that is – there's a lot of good nutrients that yeah, comes from that. Yeah, that's a big thing from it. From having bone broths that are – that are really really good for you and your body um so if you're like sitting there and you're like i buy chicken broth and it's like blah 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 and it's like no you're having like chicken bouillon like thrown into like water yeah. and that's uh, costco is, like. has they do have bone broth but they they'll they have like three different kinds of chicken broth like the traditional just in the can they've got some that are nice that's a nicer brand that comes out of a paperish carton and then they have specifically bone um bone broth which uh we nice. get as well i was like most, we'll eat was it like, we'll get it just to drink I was like, um, if you go to taco or not taco if you go to target or uh or walmart most of the time they don't have a bone broth yeah it's like available too so i didn't even know costco had it that's nice yeah and it comes in a bunch of you know the way costco is so anyway we thank you for listening to Food Talk with Tim and Colton. Now back to the Go to Hell podcast on National Public Radio. So what are we drinking today? We are drinking a staple of the West Coast IPA circuit um, from down in San Diego, Ballast Point's original sculpin emphasis on original sculpin because i feel like the original is so much harder to find than so this is why i have this in my house you said in the last week or so off air i believe you know what i am just so i would just kill for regular sculpin all i see is grapefruit sculpin and this sculpin and can i just get regular sculpin and so i was at one of our grocery stores nearby and they had Great. They had regular Sculpin. They didn't even have any of the other ones. They just had it. So I grabbed a six pack, and then that's delightful. My daughter in law proceeded to drink most of it on Thanksgiving Day, and I meant to tell her, "Don't touch the Sculpin," but I was like, <laughs> "Okay, that's fine." I think I had one myself, and Damn. then so I went back to said grocery store today, and I got another six pack of it. So we had plenty on hand. But yes, I did, and so I got it and saved it for the show thinking you'd probably want to drink it and then i had a glass sometime over the weekend and as soon as i took a sip i was I don't, it was just it was almost like i gotta sit down this is so i forgot how good this is this is so uh, this is clearly the best ipa ever made well and i mean the the hard part is okay so one if you're listening to this and you don't drink ipas which is actually, it's kind of crazy to me that you would be it's still just listening. childish. It's all well. It's I'm just like it's like still eating peanut butter and jelly. And <laughs> I'm saying it's crazy because if you've listened to the show at all, you know that that's all we freaking yeah, drink always, on yeah. this show. Like I'm like, wow, you just skip the beer part. Yeah, they just fast forward. Every but if time. you're sitting there and you're drinking other stuff, um, I would never encourage you to start with the sculpin at all no. when i first when i first started drinking my dad had these in the fridge because my dad was really trying to experiment with a lot of the beers um or a lot of the ipas and kind of introduce and then we could kind of go through it together and stuff and he brought this home um and i was only 21 for like a month and i was like no like i i drank like half of it and i was like you want the rest of this like it's 
it's really and it is it's really bitter it's very <laughs> bitter it is it it's it is an old school classic uh west coast ipa it's very piney in its flavor it's very bitter uh one might even taste soap it's so bitter yeah well and that was so yeah. delicious yeah and so when i was when i was 21 that was the, what i thought of it i was like oh, it's kind of like soapy i was like nah but that was the first um, time i had uh sam adams who it had just come out to the west coast oh yeah uh some of my high school then college buddies were in santa monica uh and we, I think we had they, had, they had come to the West Coast and he'd had enough money that he was advertising on television too. So we saw it. So they said, well, we have Sam Adams on tap. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll try one of those. And I was the only one who tried it. At this point, I think my friends and I were, you know, partially because uh, micro brews really weren't a thing. This is like, we're talking like 92, maybe 90, maybe 93. You know, good beer back then was like Heineken and <laughs> Newcastle. Um, and so they brought this, the Sam Adam comes and they put it down and I take a drink and I kind of gave a look and they're like, what? And I said, I said, it tastes like soap. And they're like, oh, it sounds terrible. And I said, no, actually though, I mean, that's the only way I can describe what I'm tasting, but I kind of like it. And then I just kept drinking it and drinking it and I had another and then I... Uh, my friends now also like IPAs, but I remember at the time they're like, nope, I don't want, they tried it. And they're like, no, that's disgusting. But it, it's definitely an acquired taste. It's an acquired my taste. My wife hated them the first two or three years we were married. And then all of a sudden like a light turned on. She's like, oh, I really like that. And I would, the first couple of times she'd say something, I would just laugh out loud and she'd say, why? And I said, because you despise that literal, that literally that same beer you just got, just, you just found disgusting two years ago it's like well i like it now so well and i think you know if especially if you're drinking light beers or lagers on a regular basis i think i think adding something with a flavor profile uh kind of elevates it a little bit more um to where you can see it start to complement other things and other situations uh the reason why i'm a big fan of ipas and i think that it's just a, a staple is that i i do believe that an ipa is a year-round beer um where it's like you could have it in the spring and it and it tastes yeah. just right you could have it in the fall and i mean lots of people make that claim about lagers um and that, that's true they're light um they're refreshing um i don't necessarily think that i think that some ipas can be refreshing but it's not it you're, you're definitely having an experience with the flavor of the beer in my opinion um and this one is super good, but like I said, if you're new, I, I wouldn't start there. It's like sitting there and saying, like, I'm I I'm well aware that the Racer Five is like one of the staple West Coast IPAs out there. You, you should not have it. No, it's your in first fact, time that one's probably it. a little more <laughs> I was like, a little stronger even than this. I was like Racer Five it's a, Stones, it's a punch. Racer Five Stones, and and Sculpins. I don't think that you should mm -mm. be drinking those until. You, you've probably been drinking an IPA for about six months. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, go. I always say that the best entry level IPA, in my opinion, because I think it's a really good profile. It's tasty. Um, is go go drink a Lagunitas for yeah. a month. Go drink a Lagunitas IPA, just the standard IPA if you can find it. A little something. Eh, I think it's still a little too bitter, uh, but I'd go with that. Um, that's a good one. Could you think of another one that you're like, eh, they're probably uh, not too bad. 
it's technically not an IPA, but it's very close, and it's certainly hoppy for a pale ale. Probably uh, Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada's pale, pale, ale. pale ale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good it's one. It's not nearly as bitter. No. Um, and if you're just trying to dip your toe and get an idea of like where the bitterness is going to go in other with other beers, start there, and then probably move up to their actual. Uh, yeah, and I think IPAs. that pale ales are a really good way to bring, yeah. to kind of branch that or uh, bridge that gap a little bit. Is if you start with the pale ales. Um, those are going to introduce you. If someone, if you're, if you're, if you're kind of new to IPAs and someone offers you a Firestone, a Union Jack, run away from that too. That's <laughs> yeah, that one's bitter. also a fairly sneaky, very, very bitter. West Coast, but it's also it's also style. a favorite. <laughs> yeah, dude, but it, it's very beer. very bitter. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there was another like entry level IPAs. I think that hazies and juicies. Um, you could probably start off with some of those because again, that's going to give you more of that f- fruit flavor profile. You um, can try if you if if you're listening to this and you're wanting to dip your toe, and particularly if you're in the West Coast, so you can find it. Uh, anything, uh, anything Pizza Port makes is oh, yeah. pretty is fairly accessible. They're not really on the bitter side. Um, I think maybe one or maybe Swami's a bit bitter. Oh, but I it's like not Swami. that, but it's not that bitter. Uh, I keep and drinking. then Belching Beaver, although Belching Beaver's IPAs, as we noted on the show, are a little different. They just have a different flavor profile than a lot of other ones do. Uh, if you find, yeah, if you find a Carl Beaver's Strauss, kind of like uh, I think there's this trolley car or something. That one's a good one. Uh, what's another big one you might find somewhere? Uh, but definitely Lagunitas, if you can find Lagunitas. I just think that that's uh, – I think that that should be the entry level. I've known lots of people that are like – I don't drink IPAs. I don't drink IPAs. And then they like went to the movie theaters and they were like, well, it's the only thing that they have or whatever. And they're like, okay, give me that. And then they have it. And then they're like, ah, actually that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's light. It's crisp. It's not going to knock you over your britches. (laughs) You're going to be fine. Or if you find, I say, I think another good easy drinking is if you find any cold IPAs out there. Yeah. Their flavor profile is very similar, but be careful. Because they usually have a higher ABV, so you're looking right. at eight nine percent on those cold IPAs, so they can taste like they're six percenters, and they're nice, light, and crisp. But at the end of the day, they can really knock your socks uh, off. So this just uh, so uh, session IPAs are lighter ABV, and so therefore they're less bitter. They're harder to find. They the one a, well, no, Tim likes session IPAs. I like. I really like session IPAs, although. That is kind of an IPA that I find is a seasonal beer. That's the kind of beer I want in like June, July when it's super hot. I find it ref- – that is an IPA that I find refreshing because it is coming in usually around 4 to 4.5 to 4.9% alcohol. It's got uh, – it's a bit crisper and not as bitter. So if you're trying to dip your toe into it, and you probably can find this everywhere or most places or a lot of places around the country because it's – Gold, it's by Golden Road, which is now owned by Anheuser Busch. Mango Cart, we got you. not Mango Cart. <laughs> is their Wolf Wolf Pup IPA Session IPA, and it's that's a good like entry level. And if that's too bitter for you, then don't bother with anything else. But um, but if you're sitting there and you're like, and because this is something that I feel, but ah, maybe maybe go go try a couple things. So try a Pale Ale, try a try a full bodied IPA, and then have a Session IPA and see what you like. I think that session IPAs, every single session IPA has a similar flavor profile across all breweries, and there's something about that flavor. It's it's on the back end, and I just don't like it. It's grapefruit. 
Is that it's what it is? It's a grapefruit flavor. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. It's a grapefruit flavor, and you don't like grapefruit. So that, that's it. Yeah, they tend to have that grapefruit bitterness, which is a little less bitter than the piney bitterness, but it's if you don't like grapefruit, then that's... So in way. Session IPAs, they just, like, toss that in to just, like, I don't know of... what... I don't know hey. why they all have that, because the Founders... <laughs> The Founders has another. Actually, the Founders one's better than the Wolf Pup. Uh, Founders session. But you were you were looking for one that was more accessible across the country. That's why you said Wolf Pup. So. Well, I, I think actually Founders is probably more accessible because oh, okay. Founders is in Michigan and we get it here. And you go to like Walmart, I think, or Target, you can get like an 18 pack of the. I think it's called the Nooner, but it's a session IPA. It's a green can. It's pretty good. But yeah, I think for whatever reason, they all tend to like Easy Jack was an. Uh, session ipa that yeah, firestone had and it had a grapefruit flavor to it what's the one from uh what's the one from long Anitas? it's like the sunny day or something yeah. like that i'm same thing like it's just like there's a flavor profile on the back end and you're saying it's grapefruit i'm just like no don't like them <laughs> but no but don't hold it against me folks <laughs> don't take my word for it reading rainbow over here let's <laughs> call me lavar burton all right, so what have we been listening to? Mm. It's been a mix this week uh, for me. Uh, I don't know. I do. Today, or, yeah. This week for me is, I mean, it's not helpful. I mean, we're going to say the same thing that I said before on here, and I'm basically like you saying I'm listening to the Rolling Stones again. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I'm listening to, uh, I call it my dad's playlist. Like, it's always, it's not my dad's actual playlist, but it's songs that I like that are artists that remind me of my father. So, uh, I have Billy Joel. I have Van Morrison. I have... Bob Dylan, I have Jackson Brown, mm-hmm. I have, yeah, and so it's just kind of that, that area that I'm just listening to and uh, listening to that music, uh, what was that, Van Morrison was the one that kind of hit me hard today where I was just, I just felt, oh, it was uh, Days Like This, oh, yeah, Van Morrison. I don't know why, it just seemed to fit right today, so uh really enjoyed uh, listening to that, so if you want to stop the podcast for a minute and you want to listen to Days Like This by Van Morrison and just enjoy uh, some good old music, I highly recommend it. But You know, if artists weren't being so stupid right now and let people like us play snippet, even just snippets of their <laughs> music, we could drop it in just for our listeners so they get a, get a sound. But oh, no, no. Like if you don't like the, sax- get if you don't like the saxophone, then I wouldn't listen yeah. to it. But, <laughs> but that's what I've been listening to. How about you? Uh, I've been listening to one of my all-time favorite bands, The Stones. I can't get enough of them. I could just listen to them all the time, 24-7, seven days a week. Oh, let me guess it. Wham. You're not going to get it. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to get it? No. You're not going to get it. This is mainly because I feel like you're going to say a dumb answer. Are you being serious that you could listen to them seven days a week? No, you're not being serious. It's who are you listening to? I don't know. I don't know what you got. 
it's something dumb. Backstreet Boys or something. I've been listening to Green Day over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck them. I can't. I just could just listen to Basket Case and American Idiot just over and over and over again. Those aren't even like the good ones. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> Tim over here was like, we were, we were at the bar. Uh, was that was that we were at Machine last, Head? Was that only like a week and a half ago? Yeah, we were at Machine Head. Oh, I also have been listening to a lot of the Peppers this week. So. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Um, but but you, Tim's like, oh, I can only take so much Green Day. And me and Eric were like, what the <coughs> hell? We, no, 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 no. <laughs> we had been we had been there a while, and they they somebody had been trucking in PA's. And instruments for like 30, 45 minutes. We're like, wow, at some point someone's going to play. And then Eric got up to go get a beer, go to the bathroom, and came back and said, oh, well, you know, because we're wondering now what kind of music it's going to be because, you know, it's hit and miss at a bar. Uh, he comes over and says, well, they got Red Hot Chili Peppers on the drum kit, so it's looking pretty good. And then um, about the time we were looking to leave, they start playing and they announced their nineties cover band and their first song was what? Ubistank. I thought they played a pepper song to start. Wasn't it a pepper song? It was not a pepper song. Well, maybe it was. I could have sworn it was. Their first song was, I thought. So I get up to go to the bathroom and for whatever reason, maybe they were playing Green Day. I think when I came back, they were playing Green Day and I walked to up to the table and I announce... I preface what I'm going to say. This is going to get me in trouble with this group, but I can only take so much Green Day. And oh, oh, the gnashing of teeth. Oh, <laughs> oh even, yeah. even your wife told me to go fuck myself. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly what happened. I, this, is a, this is a for sure. Colton replay. takes a knife and takes it in his heart and turns it and turns it and turns it. And Eric's like, Throwing himself into the fire pit that we have in front of us, and and your wife's like, "You can go to hell." It was just, oh, all right. I knew I I prefaced what I I knew when I was getting myself into trouble, and then it turned into, "Why do you hate Green Day?" I don't hate Green Day. I just could only take so much of it. It was uh, I uh, I did I did put a a an acted out knife into my chest i did not turn it it was more uh struggling to breathe uh but uh i do remember that uh and i was like what you just like you're just not a big fan of brain stew or what like and he he's just like yeah you know and so as we're driving home that evening eric goes we should listen to some green day and so we only listen to two songs which is actually technically if you're a really big green day fan it's actually only one so it was Holiday followed by uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. And mm. If you don't like Boulevard of Broken Dreams, you're stupid. <laughs> like that's a phenomenal song. So I don't know. Uh, were you actually listening to Green Day? We listened. No, but we we <laughs> did. When I took Eric home from your house, we did listen to Green Day all the way home. <laughs> that's funny. And I, was I was like, fine we also. It. I was like, we also listened to. Uh, uh, what's the what's the band that only has one good song? But yet you you and Andy got up in arms when I said that they only have one good song. Uh, Incubus and they and it was Drive is what we listened to on. A, I don't Incubus. Yeah, it's Incubus, right? 
Whatever tomorrow. I don't. I would have never gotten an up in arms about that band. Andy might have, but not me. Yeah, it, it was at a cigar club. I was like, "Oh, you mean?" And it was also like saying that REO Speedwagon only has one good song. It's uh... well, I get no problem with that either. I I have, <laughs> I have a really good. Uh, I I do. I would be really good at a not so um, not so. Uh, uh, nice cover band version of Ario Speedwagon because uh, I do, there's a couple songs that I do like but one of them one of their big ones uh, he just he over he very much over pronounces his words he over enunciates I can't remember which song it is it's their it's probably their biggest hit even as I wander I'm yeah. keeping you inside yeah, your candle in the window. <laughs> Ah, uh, the cold dirt. What is that? Uh, it's. I can't fight this feeling anymore. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> I can't fight this feeling anymore. It's a phenomenal song. You shut your mouth. <laughs> no, their best one is "Keep on, Keep on Rolling." Nope. nope, it's not, ladies and gentlemen. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it is not. That, that's where. See, I told you, Tim was offended when I said that they've only got one good hit, and he was like, "Whoa!" I was, I was like, upset about the hit you chose. But I did not. You mean disagree. their the hit? You literally just said it was their biggest one. It's their hit, but it's not their good one. One hit wonders, ladies and gentlemen. Well, they're still touring. They're still touring. Uh, yeah, you could fairies. sing the same song over and over again. Yeah, I'm not a big Ario Speedwagon. It's like fan. the guys. Uh, I think th- they're another <laughs> another Canadian band we've been cursed from. It's flock of seagulls over there. It's like <laughs> I'm just gonna sing Iran over and over again. Uh, yeah, so it was Incubus. I think that they started the set with that night at Machine Head. And no, I would never get upset about Incubus. That's another. Most of those mid '90s bands, I could take or leave it. There's nah. Oh, wait, but aren't you not a big Counting Crows fan? Andy hates Counting oh, Crows. Oh, it's Andy. Andy, it's Andy cannot stand them. I'm okay with them. I w- I think Counting Crows are a great movie TV show TV show soundtrack band. But like listen to a whole album, no. I don't but think I think li- but I think they're really good. There's they've got a couple good songs. I don't think I've listened to a whole album. I think but their, I... Be- their better stuff is actually what wasn't what was not pay- played on the radio. My, well, I don't know if it was played on the radio at all, but I'm a big fan of Mr. Jones. So, oh, that was played one. like the like hell on the radio. But oh. that that one, I like that one. I was like, I wasn't old enough at that time to like really listen to the radio. Yeah, it was so, like '95, like, I think, when that song was yeah, out. That's when I was born. When so. music, <laughs> that was in the period where music was transitioning from grunge into whatever rock um, was becoming. Oh, after which that. also, I which. I believe a part of that transition was, uh, and they transitioned out of whatever they were in the early thousands. But I mean, every once in a while, and I don't feel like we've talked about them on this podcast before. And I don't know if you're, I know you're actual, um, I'm talking about early thousands mm-hmm. or late nineties train and maroon five where you have the songs about Jane album. Uh, um, love both early. Oh, okay. Okay. I was like, I'm a big fan of both of them. But I feel like they're a part of that kind of Counting Crows. That was of... all part of the, yeah, it was kind of, I don't know what, you know. I, rock used to just be rock, and now there's like 20 different strains of it. So whatever uh, whatever that whole milieu is with Matchbox 20 oh, and yeah. uh, Fastball 
bare naked ladies. Bare naked ladies. Yeah, it was, that was all enjoyable stuff. I was none of it was nothing. It was nothing. It was pop rock. I mean, in yeah, a way. It was, like it was so. But I I feel like that came from a resistance to the angst of. Goo Goo Dolls grunge. ushered that era oh, in because Goo, 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 well, Goo Goo Dolls, Goo Goo Dolls got started in the late '80s and they just kind of bumbled around because they had to because they just like missed their mark. They like they started around the they were I think they started out punk. Um, they're flying under the radar because of uh, hair band music um, and classic rock running the rock airwaves, and then grunge comes in and takes over. And they're still just kind of like floating under the radar. I think they were kind of like a college band kind of thing. And then along with them and REM, actually. And then finally, grunge kind of dies out. And there's enough uh, oxygen on the radio to kind of let Goo Goo Dolls come up and REM. And then they kind of fill in for the death of grunge. Because grunge only lasted like four years, really, three, um, before it quickly faded out. I mean, those bands kept, a lot of them kept playing, but... Or killing themselves. It, it, it didn't last very long. It was a very short little stint. Um, and then, yeah, Google Goo Dolls and R.E.M., both of which had been kind of kicking around, kind of kicked off this new wave of, like you said, Matchbox 20, um, Fastball, a couple other, and then Train. And, uh, well, Coldplay kind of came in there, although Coldplay's a little harder. But um, Yeah, Coldplay, I well, <clears throat> you say that, but I still feel like Coldplay is pretty soft. But, I mean, when they first came out with that album and, you know, Yellow came on the radio, that was... The first album The first album was very much in line with those other bands we're talking I, yeah, 100%. about. Yeah, 100%. It was, and, made, but also it was like, maybe a little bit little like rougher around the edges and stripped down, but it was... They... And it's... I think... The last album, I did enjoy the La Vida, whatever. I enjoyed that album. That was the last album I enjoyed. They got too electronic and poppy after that. Who are you talking about? Uh, Coldplay. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Parachutes Viva is, La Vida Parachutes is a phenomenal is, album. Parachutes is spectacular. Um, the second one is a really good rock album. There's a lot of good songs on there, but there's nothing great. And then the third album is uh, Rush of Blood to the Head. That is that i go back and forth between that and parachutes is my favorite album the, the rush of blood to your to your head has is just them i think at their peak of rock musicians because there's not a, a bunch of keyboards and stuff like that it is just heavy layers of guitar the singing spectacular there's a lot there is ambient noise and stuff that they use like on uh amsterdam the song amsterdam which is probably my favorite song of theirs of all time and then uh, in what was it, in Vita whatever. Viva La Vida. And then after that, I was just like nah, I they just, I just kind of lost interest. They but my daughter still loves them. She still loves all their new albums. She goes and sees them in concert. But um, I still think that if like Viva La Vida is still their most popular song that I think that they've. I mean, yeah. I feel like Yellow is up there, but I don't think it's I think everybody's too old for yellow now and well and yellow got overplayed because yellow it was i mean it's funny that yellow they the album comes out and it was pretty popular and then that's my favorite one it like personally it like i i distinctly remember abc using yellow for their commercials for the stanley cup final yeah and it was being used on in all kind. It was it was kind of like that song we we're talking, the Green Day song we we're talking about. Uh, 
the the graduation song or whatever. Uh, oh, time of your time life. time of your life. That's a great song. Where yellow life. just got overplayed, like everyone was using it for everything they could jam it in. It was like, oh, let's buy that, let's buy it, let's buy it. And after a while, I was like, stop. And it's a good and it's a great song. There are other songs on that album that are better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that. I'm trying to think of another song that's been like that overplayed, but I don't know. Um, so seriously, you've been listening to Green Day this week, or was that just like a, <laughs> was that just a gag? That was a gag. Fuck you. <laughs> I thought you were broadening your horizons, you asshole. <coughs> I haven't really been listening to music this week. I've been too busy. So, uh, Andy was over here yesterday to watch, to smoke cigars and drink some beers. And uh, you could we... say you've been in a bit of a brain stew. Is what you're saying. <laughs> we you. we listened to grunge yesterday while we were doing that. So, in fact, we agreed that he will be on the show probably in December, as we'll do another uh, show where he's a special guest, and we're going to play. Soundgarden. Who's, who's grunge is it anyway? We're going to play a game where we try to guess what artist was on what uh, grunge band. Because there's only like five of them. So. Colton's going to come up with a trivia game of grunge music. And we're going to see who wins uh, between the two of them uh, on one episode. <laughs> uh, we'll call it Grunge Feud or something. I don't know. I think it's time for our second beer. I don't know. Yeah. I was like, we uh, also major downside to Sculpin, ladies and gentlemen. Only comes in 12 ounce cans. Yeah, that's. We have another 12 ounce can of Society and their uh, Pupil IPA, which we've had on the show before a couple times. All right. I guess we can get down to the nitty gritty of what we're actually talking about on this podcast tonight. Did a lot of cooking stuff. We did a lot of beer stuff. We did a lot of music stuff. All right. How so, far along into this podcast are we right now? 47 minutes. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's a <laughs> podcast right 47 there. minutes and nothing. This is like a Seinfeld. It's a podcast about nothing. Uh, okay. We'll do two quick little hot topics. Okay. And then we'll talk about Thanksgiving. And then that's it. Yep, because we got extracurricular activities this evening. If you are in the vicinity and you would like to come smoke around a fire pit uh, two weeks after uh, we actually <laughs> record this, hit us up. Yeah, if radio was still a thing, Annie, we would invite you over right now. Um, okay, one, if you're listening to this, we just, the previous episode was a marathon episode of our review of Goodwill Hunting. And when we were doing our review, we, we talked about some Christian ideas in the midst of that movie. Yeah. Um, but I thought about it later. I think it's good to kind of revisit that and just um, not anything specific to the movie. Like there's this in the movie. But just I think that movie, this will be the case when we get around to doing Shawshank. At, frankly, it's going to be most of the movies we, we'll do when we review a, a a movie on the show other than chariots of fire we did unforgiven we've now done goodwill hunting we'll do shawshank we'll do some other movies 
none of them are Christian movies, and we're not necessarily intentionally trying to go in there and make it like, oh, let's let's Christianize this music uh, movie and dress it up in a way that it's not intended to be. That said, I think Goodwill Hunting is a good example of why we as Christians, I, I think Christians for too long, and it's gotten really bad of late um, because the way it's gotten cheaper to make movies and music and all of that, Christians are very good at getting in our own little cocoon and only digesting Christian things because we don't want to expose ourselves to bad behavior or the world, or we can only, which I, there's some element, I, I can understand some of that, particularly if you have kids in the house, you know, you're trying to, you don't necessarily need to expose your things to the wicked ways of the world. But I think where we do ourselves a disfavor is trying to find God and Jesus specifically through very Jesus-centered things like just worship music and just really, frankly, cheesy, terribly put-together and acted Christian movies that are preaching to the choir. And it's much more meaningful if you can go through, a, you know, it's the thing about art is it doesn't matter what the artist wasn't trying to portray a lot of artists frankly whether it be movies or music are very uh which they get criticism for it they'll be very honest and say it's whatever you get out of it i'm not going to tell you i wrote i had some kind of purpose when i wrote this but i'm not going to tell you whatever you get out of it you get out of it take them take let the take them at their word and do that and so for a movie like goodwill hunting Take a Christian perspective out of that, which is very much understanding that the people we deal with, uh, if you live in a family, probably people in your family, maybe your entire family, a big thing we deal with in the world is generational sin and how it affects people and how we have to navigate and be less judgy when we come across somebody who's an asshole or seems you know, really broken and engaging in self-destructive behaviors and try to understand that from a Jesus perspective of I'm going to be the one that doesn't judge them. So again, it, that's kind of specific to that movie. But just in general, I advise you, come from that perspective. If you find something out of a secular song that you kind of illustrates what forgiveness should be or grace, run with it. I think it's good to do. And I don't think we do enough of it. Yeah, I think actually one of my favorite messages of Goodwill Hunting um, that I think is one of the best Christian messages. Um, uh, and again, this is I'm I agree with Tim that it's like we're not sitting there trying to read anything into it. But if we're sitting there and, and we watch this movie and we're like, hey, that was a really powerful message that's also presented in the Bible. And that we can learn from, I think that I think that. What's really dumb is that there is an idea, I don't know if it's throughout the world, um, but it's in our culture, is that people should stop learning for some reason. Yeah. Um, you know, you have the desire to be the know-it-all, but then, um, and everybody wants to be the person that's the expert on the subject, but then everybody believes that once you're the expert, then you stop learning. Um and that's just not true. You should be able to learn from every single thing, try to grow and to develop. Because um, if not, then you're not you're not moving forward. Yeah. Like you're just stuck being who you are 
Um, and for some of you, you're like, well, what's wrong with who I am and that kind of stuff. It's like, how are we as a species supposed to grow if you don't grow? Right. Um, everybody should be doing what they can to help grow and to develop. Um, and so when you watch that movie, what's a lesson that you can learn from it? Um, and I always do have that lens of just like, again, it's that lens of that message of Jesus Christ. Um, and so what is, what is a really powerful message from this? Um, and mine is actually, it's, it's broken people helping broken people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're all broken. That's the thing is, is we're all broken. We all have our own issues, dilemmas, things that we have going on, but that doesn't mean that we can't help people, you know? Um, everybody is doing what they can um, to try and help um, Will in this story. Um, and even when they've got their own shit and their own stuff going on, but still, like, we want what's best for other people. Yeah. And we should continue to try to do that for other people. If you have the ability to help someone, then help them um, in those situations. So... I don't know. I think it's a really powerful message of that movie. And that's why, again, what we talked about last week, where it's like that human aspect that they're able to portray is because it's it's humans. All humans are broken. Yeah. And they're helping another human out. Um, and that's something that's really powerful and about that, that message that Jesus Christ was really talking about. So that's what I think. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think that there's a need to sit there and read into shit and just be like, how do we Christianize this? And and you know, blah 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 blah. No, absolutely not. Enjoy the movie. Well, I, I no, actually, I say you know, do it if it if 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 it's if it's well done. Um, obviously, you're not going to take like liar liar and read a Christian theme and like oh liars lying's bad. But if it's a good dra- serious drama like good Jordan Bates back and switch <laughs> and that's the game. <laughs> If it's a good drama and it seems like it's, there's some depth depth to it and you're getting out of it some sort of Christian message, it's fine. I mean, so I don't, you know, in game you're not going to get something out of. So that's just violence begets violence. So, <laughs> all right. So just little side note on that topic two. I'm just going to talk really quickly about Israel. I don't want to get into it super deep. Actually, the day we're recording, supposedly there's a temporary ceasefire deal on the table and the Palestinians are handing over a bunch of hostages. I don't know what the Israelis are doing. Uh, I guess they're just doing a reprieve of their invasion for four days. So we'll see what happens out of it. I'm going to bring this little nugget of news out and then I'm going to explain why I'm bringing it up. So... Uh, just some background history. I, this is not related to Israel-Palestine. I will. Exp- it will be all clear why I'm bringing it up. If you're unaware, uh, early 20th century, Turkey had under its control uh, Armenian, the Armenians, not Armenians, the Armenians, and Armenian territory. And they very infamously engaged in a genocide that killed a couple million, I believe. Uh, It has been a long contention uh, in the West. Uh, The United States, I don't think, still has officially acknowledged, like the government hasn't put pen to paper and acknowledged that and condemned Turkey for that 
genocide because Turkey's part of NATO, and so we didn't want to upset our Turkish ally. Um, I know presidents, particularly of late, have tried to walk a tightrope on that uh, issue because, uh, you know, for a long time, Armenia only recently became a country. Before then, it's basically the Armenians were spread around different countries. There are Armenians in Turkey. There are Armenians in Iraq. I think maybe even Iran. There was an Armenia in Russia. So they've never really been under their control for quite a long time. They've much been like the Arabs under control of various empires. And so uh, once they became independent, it became much more of an issue. In fact, there's more Armenians living in Glendale, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles than anywhere in the world. So uh, I have one of my best friends from high school is Armenian. So, uh, so just uh, the community is north of Burbank, right? Correct. Okay. Um, so they, again, even today, there are Armenians spread around in different countries. One of those countries is Azerbaijan. There is a, a province area of Azerbaijan, which is uh, another country that was uh, before part of the Soviet Union, then became its own country when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, its own republic, and um, that... <laughs> Sorry, my wife just walked in with a mask. <laughs> like Jason? Yes, just like Jason. Um... So the Azerbaijan, they're in that, there's an enclave in Azerbaijan that is Armenian, and the Azerbaijani government decided earlier this year they were going to drive all of the Armenians out. They haven't murdered all of them. They haven't done like a genocide where they've actually killed them, but they were going to compl completely displace all the, all the Armenians and move them somewhere else so they could have the territory for Azerbaijanis, which are, I think, predominantly Muslim. And so they've engaged in that all year long. And it's been lightly talked about on the news. And they've succeeded at it. They've basically driven Armenians out of a, these Armenians out of an area that they've been in for generations, many, many generations. So why am I bringing all this up? Because the number one arms provider to Azerbaijan is Israel. They have provided them most the majority of their weapons, including very high-tech weapons, and knowingly been doing this as Azerbaijan is driving these Armenians out. Now, why do I bring this up? I don't bring this up so you can say, screw the Israelis, this is, now I'm going to side with the Palestinians. Um, or for you to get further burrowed into your ideas of... I was always for the Palestinians, and so therefore, like, correct. This just proves how this much just of proves a how bad, the, are, how yeah. scummy the Israelis are. It's not why I'm bringing it up, but I am bringing it up for those of you who do support Israel and have a more simplistic view of who Israel is and how they are the victims in all this. And again, it's not to justify any of the Palestinian violence that started this on October 7th or any other uh, Palestinian violence. But whatever you've been told in the news about or if you are 
someone who tends to vote more Republican and you listen to right-wing podcasts and you hear about how great Israel is and how Israel's always the one who's getting uh, attacked by the Arabs and the Palestinians and how they just want to live in peace. I'm sorry. Israel's own actions this year before October 7th make it very clear they are not clean state actors. They are not some country that's living by higher moral standards than everybody else, that they're some uh, wonderful city on a hill fulfilling God's prophecy in the Old and New Testament about God's chosen people coming home and that they're this new Jewish you know, kingdom set up that's fulfilling prophecy and Christians should support it. No, this is a secular country living in a secular world going about doing very secular, very unchristian, very anti-Jesus-centered viewpoints, which, newsflash, we live in the same kind of country. So, again, when we talk about this, I'm going out of my way. What I really want you to do if you're listening to this is at some point get to the point where you say, I'm not picking any sides because neither side is worth really picking sides on because they're both they both have their own problems. But this one really stuck in my craw cuz I stumbled I don't remember how I stumbled upon it and I thought people need to know more about this cuz it's not being reported on. I think intentionally not being reported on. So yeah, I think so so this this may be a little lengthy for me, maybe a little longer than we wanted to go on it, but I don't, I don't intend for it to be. I think that I had made a comment when we first started talking about this, probably the second week that we talked about Israel and Hamas and uh, the issue going on with the Palestinians, is I made a connection to, um, I felt like a lot of the response, a lot of the stuff that's going on in the United States, uh, this kind of conflict that's existing, is coming from I think that there are very there are a lot of similarities and a lot of parallels to that of the and like I I I believe I said it then and and you can say it now um, that there's a fallacy there where the, this analogy fallacy or this parallel fallacy exists where I'm making connections from this to a very similar situation in the United States that I believe is a similar situation as far as the response um, the, the the divisiveness that comes from it and I. I brought up the African American um, mo- uh, Black Lives Matter um, movement against uh, uh, the police brutalities in our country, mm-hmm. um, and I think that there is a lot of arguments being made. Um, and here's here's where I think that some of these arguments are being made. So, like, let's say for example, we look at the Hamas attacks, terrible, horrible thing, right? Yeah. Um, crime against humanity. Crime against humanity. It's not a crime just against Jews. It's crime against humanity. It's, and it's, it's barbarism in the pure purest form. Hundred percent. It's we, satanic. Which nobody, as far as I've talked to, or that I've heard from, says that it was not barbaric and horrific. What the argument is for Hamas's attack is. These are people that have been oppressed now for 10, 15 years in the Gaza Strip. 
Um, maybe not necessarily Hamas themselves, so maybe those people have just barely come in or whatever, but you're looking at Israel has been has tried to do the um, the big stick policy um, that the United States has always done, where it's like, you know, I'm going to squash out threats before they become threats. Right. Has been a big issue for um, Israel. And, yeah, that might have worked 100 years ago when the free press wasn't exactly completely free as it is now. Um, and now what we see is, and, again, what you've done is you've done, and this is where, again, the connection and the analogy that I believe that you can make towards the United States police system is again, you have been, is that there becomes this preventative instead of reactive um, kind of situation. And so you have created people who have been oppressed by the preventative, where the majority of them are not necessarily trying to cause harm. They may have, uh, they may have issues with you. They may be spiteful towards you but ultimately at the end of the day they haven't done harm towards you and so therefore but yet they are being resented they are being oppressed through this process of trying to be preventative and and you know and being like there's people that you've allowed into your country but the average person in the gaza strip does not have the ability to sit there and say that they've harbored hamas in their country right does that make sense like the average Hamas or the average Gaza Strip citizen is not sitting there um, voting for these people to be in a power. I mean, that would be the same thing as you sitting there and saying that your vote actually matters for the presidency. Well, they voted him in 13, 16 years ago, whatever, as their government. So they had a referendum. West Bank got to West Bank got to vote. Palestine got and Gaza got to vote. The West Bank folks voted in Fatah, which is basically the leftovers from the PLO and, or is it the PLM? Anyway, they they voted in not Hamas. Gaza voted in Hamas. But Hamas has not held a referendum since. Now, if you digest a lot of news, people will point out, well, they'll, they, if you, they've done polling in the last, sorry, the last couple of years. And the polling shows that Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and in West Bank overwhelmingly support Hamas. I'm not sure I believe that. That's uh, what we call in the uh, political science world the James Bradley effect. There was a black um, mayor in Los Angeles 20, 30 years ago. Uh, People kept, they kept running polls and James Bradley was going to, no, Tom Bradley, Tom Bradley effect. Tom Bradley was going to win, he was going to win, he was going to win, and guess what? Tom Bradley didn't win, and he won- He lost big time, and pollsters kind of figured out people didn't want to tell a perfect stranger over the phone that doesn't know them, You don't know. they don't know you, you don't know them, but they didn't want to tell somebody over the phone that they weren't going to blo- vote for a black guy. Yeah, but also, I, I again, I think that this has parallels again to where i say that even if they do say that they support hamas they support hamas because i i guarantee that hamas is guaranteeing them safety and security from the people that are oppressing them in israel no no, no. So it's, I, I don't it's this I, vicious I, I, I'm, I'm no not, i know I, i'm not i was just laying out what the what the facts are so no i know i know i'm just I, saying I, if, well, if one if push look 
I think if let's say the poll says eighty percent of Gazans support Hamas, I don't think that eight that. 40% of those people who say yes are lying. I, it's probably, but I think a lot of people, even though they're talking to a stranger, don't want somebody to find out that they told the pollster that they don't actually support Hamas. But even if they all support Hamas, yes, they support them because Hamas is promising them, I would be more stark about it. Hamas is promising them what that they will do to the Israelis, what the Israelis, the Jews have been doing to them. Hundred percent, but and that's and that's also, where you and I are like, we've got to get out of this, right? But and I'm saying that again, there's parallels and get, and the only reason why I'm making this analogy is so maybe we can make this in 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 anybody who's listening to this into your backyard. It's where because I think so many times we we create this distance and and like I said again, you could you can claim that this is a fallacy if you wish, and you can find holes in this, and I and I get that, but I think that there are things that you can relate to arguments that you can relate to where they are at the root very similar to where again like i said so this thing with hamas if you want to if you want to sit there and talk about it again with the african-americans even with the uh mexican-americans in our country again these is the safety of of gangs and what that provides for them and and again where you get this idea of you know fuck the police um where again this is kind of this idea where it's like yeah these people have been impressing us and i was like uh, I was like, Jay-Z talks about his 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. And he talks about the fact that he got pulled over for going 55 into 54. And he said, son, do you know what I'm stopping you for? And he's like, cause I'm young and I'm black and my hat's real low. Do I look like a mind reader? I don't know. And then he's like, he's like, do you mind if I look around the car a little bit? And then he's like, I know that you want to illegally search my shit, you know? And, and he goes on and he talks about this idea. And again, in, in rap music, they're talking about these, these ideas that, African-Americans or, or, or people of color have experienced in this country over and over and over again. From, and then they're like, okay, we're going to bring the police dogs out. And he's like, why? There is literally nothing other than the fact that I went 55 and a 54. And you're not giving me a ticket, but all of a sudden I've, you got to search my whole damn car for this. Right. Um, and, and does that happen to you at a stoplight? Does that happen to me at a, at a normal traffic stop? And the answer is no, right? Um, where again, it's this, it's this preventative kind of idea that's that's kind of come from and and just so we're clear if you're listening to this and you are a police officer i we have lots of friends um and i don't think that this is in this is also something that needs to be said on this show yeah andy andy our super listener sometime guest andy is not a police officer and andy is right now like arguing in his head with everything you're saying but we love andy and (laughs) But I'm saying that there's not a blanket statement, right? No, like, no, no, I'm not no. sitting there and saying like all police officers, all African Americans are. You no, know, you're like raising this some of that. the same. You're raising some of the same questions I've raised over the last of just like, I get the police perspective. I do because I hear what they have to deal with and why they overreact. And my thing always is, then we've got to solve. Then we've got to come up. Somebody's got to solve the problem because this is unsustainable. Hundred percent. I, I don't think that the police. But my opinion is the police aren't the problem. It's something above the police. They're just dispensing the policy. And what I'm saying and they're, is, what they're, and they're taking it on the chin. And and I'm. But saying it's also very much true. They are taking it on the chin. We're gener- we're creating generations of non-white people. Although it'd be interesting, even in poor areas now, with more and more white people being poor, whether this is just a poor issue. 
we're we're creating animosity that's unhealthy for society. I think that there is again this idea. What I'm getting at is, is again, if we go back to the Hamas incident and we sit there and say absolute crime against humanity, but at the same time, everybody who is sitting there and, and is siding with the Palestinians is sitting there and saying they've undergone years and years of scrutiny from the Israelis. And as much as the Israelis want to sit there and say, like, we're the victims here, we have, we've outlined on this that not within the last 20 years have you been the victim. Well, when, I did, when we did our first episode on this and I laid out the history, what I made clear was, yeah, there was, yes, Jews had been persecuted for centuries Absolutely. Jews had been persecuted within Europe specifically for going on to millennia. Then we have the Holocaust. So there's this great profound sense of owing the Jews and the Jews desiring. Understandably, this is all understandable. I, I, it's all understandable. Their own place so they can govern themselves, defend themselves, yada, yada, yada. However... And I don't also when you move into an area where there are people who probably don't like you, which that's true. The Arabs just didn't like the Jews, but they're also you're adding to them not liking you by you literally kicking them out of their villages and sending them out in packing into the desert to die in the desert. How does that solve the problem we're trying to solve? And I think that also for anybody that's sitting there and saying that about Palestine, that they are going through, you know, this generational situation or whatever. Again, we also can't deny that um, that the Jews haven't for thousands of years been suffering through um, through this generational hatred over and over and over again. And so, yeah, I do understand – I. I understand where their policies come from and where they feel like they're being attacked because that's how it's been. And yes, that is a very hostile world in the Middle East where they're at is a very hostile environment. And and all countries there believe in – they don't believe in violence necessarily as a part of their religion and that kind of stuff. But violence is very much an answer – in their culture in those areas that they can turn to um, very easily. Um, And so that can, and so that's the connection that I'm making here is again, what I'm talking about in the United States where I think that if you don't have any sympathy for the people that are sitting there and they're saying free Palestine or whatever, um, I think you need to understand what I'm trying to make the connection to is they are, if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't understand where that's coming from. Again, they're acknowledging generational issues. They're sitting there and saying these people have been oppressed for a long period of time. And so they're not necessarily condoning this act, but they're sitting there and saying this is a response to the past 20 years. That If you continue to oppress and kick somebody down, and that was also one of the arguments that was made, and this is also where I make the connection, is – when it comes to because people are like, well, African Americans are looting and you know right. um, throughout the country, and it's like, yes, they are, and everybody's like, well, why can't you just be like Martin Luther King Jr.? 
And th that was just such a, I'm sorry. It, for anybody that said that, that was a really dumb thing to say. I See, that's where I disagree. I think from the world's perspective, that's a dumb thing to say. I think for Christians, we should be saying, I don't know that we should be saying, we condemn you for not thinking like Martin Luther King. I just think for Christians, we should be saying, hey, like like what you and I have been trying to say for this Middle Eastern thing is to quote Martin Luther King. Yeah, but should I go and I – but here's the thing is about the healing process is should I go to somebody who is not my friend, somebody who is doing these illegal activities that I don't have a close relationship with and I sit there and say – Hey, you're the problem, and it's because no, 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 absolutely. That, that's where you and I completely agree. That and that's part of right. what that's. I mean, look, that's the, more of what that's I'm the saying. whole. That's the whole problem. Well, that's the whole problem with the internet and everyone opining and telling people they don't know what they should be doing. Look, we're telling folks if you're listening to this podcast, we assume you're either an immediate friend or you've become friends with us by getting to know us through the podcast, and so. I, I'm sorry, I don't equate, equate that with blasting whatever opinion I have on Twitter to a bunch of people I don't know and then getting in fights over it on Twitter. That's just nonsense. But yes, amongst on this show, amongst friends, you should be saying what Martin Luther King said, which was hate begets hate, violence begets violence, toughness begets a greater toughness. We must meet force of hate with the power of love. That is the Christian message. 110%, and I completely agree that that is... In as far as what I believe going in my yes, soul, right? As far as that, but I, I cannot force that on other people. No, uh, and and much and we've talked, we've mentioned Paul saying this before. Getting angry at the world for not buying into that is just as silly as the world not buying into your view on sexual, relate on, on homosexuality or the importance of the. Uh, the of divorce and all that kind of stuff paul tries to make it very clear stop judging the pagans as the pagans and you know we're well, I'm using that that phrase to say no, non which is what paul would use so for us today stop getting angry with the non-believers not believing what you believe and stop angrily telling them lecturing them wagging your finger telling them if you have a friend at work that you feel comfortable, you can share, and they say, so, uh, you know, over coffee in the break room, what do you think about the whole Palestinian-Israeli problem? Look in your coffee. I think in that instance, you can look in your coffee and say, you know what, I just don't think violence is going to solve this problem. It's well beyond everyone's comprehension, and violence doesn't seem to be solving it, so I'm just hoping someone can find some way out of peace. And if they get mad at you about it, you say, like, hey, we, everybody can differ, whatever. But I, I think in that instance, someone's probably going to like, hmm, wow, interesting. I'm, yeah, someone actually said it. Or I hadn't heard that before. Or, you know, or, well, I disagree. And my, you know, my family's Jewish. And I totally get it. Totally get it. Your family's Jewish. You've lived through anti-Semitism. Totally understand it. I'm not, but, you know, you ask my opinion. That's what my opinion is. Well, and I think... I appreciate you saying what you said about Paul and that kind of stuff because, again, when I said my Martin Luther King statement and when I said I said I think that that's really stupid, and you said you disagreed, and I was I was like, well, I didn't. I think I meant it in the way that you that you said. That yeah, I th well, I it think where, I jumped the gun. And you didn't. No, get no, no. I I I got you. Where I was just like, no, a hundred percent. I think 
that we as believers should 100% cling to that message that MLK talked about. I I agree with it. But I mean, he does also talk about in in his letters from Birmingham jail or his letter from Birmingham jail to the clergyman of Alabama where he where he talks about, you know, like again, if you continue to kick the dog, like this is what's going to happen, you know. Um and he was always one who was who advocated for nonviolence but also said that, you know, there are people that are prone to violence and this is what uh yeah. they have and and so I get that. I think that as kingdom people, um, we cannot be um, advocates for violence. But that being said is where I say, if you're sitting there and you're thinking that you can just impress that upon every single person, um, again, that's not the way our world works. And it's, I think that it's dumb of you to sit there and think that people don't want an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth every single time that something happens they're upset they're angry and so they say i need to do what's best for me because again they're not associated and even if you're like well those people go to church or whatever and i was like yeah i think that's also something that needs to happen on this show and maybe we haven't (laughs) said it before is where uh people that go to church are not necessarily aligned with the kingdom's mission and vision no, 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 no. That's that. Frankly, that's why I think that one of the reasons why, when we the the many times we talked about why Christianity's collapsing in America is because we've been really lazy at judging Christianity, and it's based well, on it's what, just based it's off based your, church, your attendance. church attendance. Attendance. Where, well, those people go to church, and I was like, yeah, but the, do they live? Do they by... live it? Yeah, do they live it? I mean. There are many, many, many parts of this country where social status is based on what church you go to. You don't think those, well, particularly no, actually, those businessmen who go to those churches know exactly what they're doing and why they're going to that church and actually, pretending? Actually, just so we're clear, it's because they said a prayer when they were six years old. <laughs> uh, we dealt with that too. <laughs> so that's where I'm just saying, and again, this is where I want to make that analogy of just... I, I want people to understand generational hate, generational hatred, generational violence. It is a real thing. You, people are harboring hate and animosity for years and years. A dad and a mom are harboring that, and then they're teaching their kids to also harbor that hate, anxiety, fear, pain, suffering, and it transfers. Even if they don't hit their kid. Yeah. They're sitting there and they are like, this person's got me down. This person is causing this issue for me, blah, 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 blah. And it's because when they run into those people, they don't have a good experience with them. Time and time again, when they go into these situations, and again, here's also something that I want to say because we talked about the police force, um, and, I, and I want to clear this up, is that it, it may not necessarily be in our area. California is yeah i was like honestly you you you're pretty likely to run into i you are likely to run into profiling police officers in the state of california but it's not because you're african american it's because you're mexican american um and that's that's a true statement um i've known plenty of people i know some girl who took her brother's truck out and it was just a low rider truck and she got pulled over 
and they had nothing to stop her for. Um, and she was just like, yeah, I had this weird incident with the cops the other day. And she was, and the funny part is she's Portuguese. Right. Um, but this was just the style that her brother drove the truck in. Um, she didn't have a tint or anything, but then they pulled her over and just asked for her license and information. And they were like, oh, okay, you're free to go. But I, I, as much as you want, don't want to sit there and say like they profiled her, it was. <laughs> like, they profiled the truck. That's they profiled sure. the truck. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing is like they get they profile some of that stuff, and so. Um, I you know it's interesting you brought you brought current up. I would my comparison if you're gonna want to do an American experience comparison to what's going on in the Middle East, I would do that with Amer with us and the Native Americans, and do it from this standpoint. Oh, I think that one's just too easy. It is easy, but it's also... <laughs> but also, nobody cares about the Native Americans in our countries still, so... <laughs> but here's why I bring it up. One, it's I think it's very similar. We Yes, we came in, there was a lot of land that was... I, look, I, look, I studied all this in college, yes. There was a lot of areas we took over that weren't Indians, but the Indians weren't stupid. They were also, you know, occupying, quote-unquote... Um, Actually, you know what? This is really good. We might even not get to think. Yeah, we can get to Thanksgiving. We get to Thanksgiving. We still got more beer to try. The um, our experience with the American Indians and the Israeli-Palestinian problem are of the same ilk. Where yes, America is coming along 150 years earlier, but it is they are both of the same problem where modern nation states. Are being created and you're thinking like what yeah the modern nation state only came about with really the Treaty of Westphalia if you don't know what that is look it up but it did it it's only a couple hundred years old where you actually had borders and you controlled your borders and you controlled who came in and who didn't and all that that's a modern thing and so we look at what we did coming into the United States as being like this despicable thing. We're like, well, the Indians were here. Well, yes, but like there wasn't a modern state here. And so, yes, it sucked for the Indians. But you're kind of looking at it from a 21st century lens where now we have literally every corner of the planet is marked off by someone either as a country or if it's Antarctica. It's seven countries all saying like no one's going to control this, but we're all going to like manage it together and the moon and the moon um so we come in and you know we decide we start taking whatever is choice land and if the indians get uppity about it we ship them off to Oak to mississippi and then when they get uppity when we decide to move into mississippi we ship them off to oklahoma um very similar really to what Again, understanding what the Jews went through and their desire to have their own homeland, they did the same thing. They came in, and when they decided they wanted what a village to be theirs, they literally sent packing hundreds of Palestinians off into the desert and said, go fend for yourself. I don't give a shit if you die, which a lot of them did, go marching off in the desert and die. Because the French and 
because the once Ottoman Empire had collapsed and the British and French are doing a terrible job managing it and don't want to manage it anymore. And so now we're just going to let the Jews come in. And so why do I bring all that up? What did you think was going to happen when that occurred? Well, you could have, because everyone wants to talk about, well, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. The Israelis are, are doomed to repeat it. So they're basically in the stage of where we were at for a long time, fighting wars and killing Indians because the Indians were tired of being pushed off land and pushed off land and pushed off land. Yeah, that's fair. At, I... So if you're telling me you're going to win this thing at the end of the day, and look, the world is a cold, hard, harsh place. So understanding. You're telling me at best you're going to be left with the equivalent where you have Palestinians basically living the way they are now, but in squalor and in hopelessness and maybe just broken to the point where they're done fighting, but they're going to self-medicate themselves <laughs> with alcohol and then we're going to throw them a bone and let them start casinos or something. Well, and that's... I I think <laughs> that's I mean, that's the kind of the, like that's like best case scenario we're looking at. 100 percent. I, I completely <laughs> agree. I think that. Yeah, I. I mean, we talked about generational sin where, it, that, again, what we're dealing with right now, and I hope I hope that everybody that set up or each country that set this up hopefully some point sits there and say that this was a mistake and not and people and jewish people may be super upset about this but here's the thing is if you're a jewish person and you're upset about the fact that i say that israel in the modern sense is not yours then you don't understand where you got israel from right i was like that's not you weren't owed the land. You didn't deserve the land. The it land. was not your land because no, it, was it was your land a long time ago. I, and and I'm not sitting there and saying. And again, I fully recognize the the thousands of years of of hatred that you have received. But that, I'm sorry, according to according to what I know, and the in my westernized culture and what I've received is. Just so we're clear, that's that doesn't mean that you're guaranteed land. You're not like that's you're not guaranteed a country. You're not guaranteed whatever. No, and it's also by going about and, what you did is you're saying might might makes right, which is yeah. And, and I but, don't even think you have to be a Christian to say well, that's not really a good worldview to be engaged in. Well, and again, this is also where like the United States, we didn't like sit there and. and and again, to make an analogy, uh, I mean, we did it with the Indians, but when we freed the slaves and even now we're not sitting there saying like, okay, you can have your own property because we just mistreated you for, you know, a hundred and a hundred years. 100 right. Years. Um, again, for anybody that wants to kick back on that, again, the United States was only a country for a hundred years before the Civil War and also, <coughs> also large amounts of African-American slaves were not on the continent until like what is it 1840s yeah i was like when was the cotton gin invented i was like that's when that's when production really went up but actually a lot of those southern farms were actually 
struggling and dying out. So yeah, I was like, slavery was dying to begin with. But again, nobody ever wants to talk about that, which again, I'm not sitting there and justifying slavery just so we're clear on this podcast. Again, I'm actually condoning it, but I'm just saying that we don't sit there and say, all right, you're going to get property because we just had all this. But yet, for some reason, we were like, we felt bad for the Jews after the Holocaust, and we're like, we don't know what to do with this area. And we're like, all right, let's just send all the Jews there. And actually, I feel like it was probably more racist that they did that. <laughs> like, it was, well, we don't like all these gypsies in our country, so let's just go ahead and send them on over because they probably had a shit ton of refugees in their country, and they were just like, oh, we don't want them in You know, a good us. analogy would have been, uh, we feel really bad for the Japanese interned in california yeah that's a good so one. we're gonna give you san francisco and if you've lived here for a couple of generations you're some white guy who's been living here since like the gold rush is like well we're shit out of luck because your country fucked up and interned japanese illegally during the war right and so <laughs> like be like and then we'd be all sitting around like, why are these white guys from San Francisco really upset because their land got taken away? Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and it's like, okay, so like if you're Jewish and you're sitting there and you're like, well, it's our holy land and this is blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so it's my fucking holy land too. And it's also fucking – Yeah, that's is, the problem. It's the holy land for three – th- uh, It's three different three countries. Ma- so it, the world's three major When religions. they gave it to you, just so we're clear, it was a bunch of fucking Protestants that gave you that land. They sat there and they didn't sit there and say, well – well, it, you guys are the correct religion, and so therefore yeah. you guys should have this. That's not what they agreed upon. That's well, not really why they believed that we would have tor- torn down actually, the, the temple. Prob- <laughs> actually, just so we're clear, I, I still think that there's a – and I mean I'm reading into this a little bit. But I still think that it's the Protestants' idea where they were like – I think that they believe – and why the United States I think is okay with uh, Jews owning it is they believe that they have a greater – or an, a better relationship with Jews – that I think that it was a little bit of a Protestant agenda. You can say it's a conspiracy theory. I don't care. I it's still not think, a conspiracy theory. I think it was a Protestant agenda where they say the Jews are a lot more westernized than the Muslims. And so because of this situation, we can send – we can have them own this area and then – we can start westernizing this area. And I mean, I, I'm sorry, Israel. I mean, give it 200 years and the Protestants will kick you out. <laughs> I'm like, who knows? Uh, it's not It's not a conspiracy theory. I was not going to bring up this article. I'll just bring up Russell Moore is the editor of Christianity Today. He's been, been a leading evangelical since the early 90s. He's someone that I've on many occasions wanted to bring up at the show because I... I don't I frankly I, look I love you as a Christian dude in that Jesus pure Jesus sense but I don't like you you're you're a hypocrite and you're the, you're you're you've spent the last couple of years lecturing people as to why Christianity's gone off the rails while missing the point that you were part of the reason why Christianity went off the rails and in his latest ar- uh, article cuz again he's running Christianity Today which is like Time magazine for Christians it's like the magazine for christians uh protestant christians he's the editor-in-chief and he writes an article why christians should support israel and he goes on all these reasons why you could if you're a christian support him for this reason you could for this reason you could for that reason but no those aren't really good reasons the real reason is as americans quote as americans we should stand with israel under attack because it is a fellow liberal democracy 
Who the fuck cares? Nobody. And a democracy in a re- region dominated by illiber- illiberal authoritarian regimes. As Christians... As Christians? As Christians. Oh, do tell. As Christians, we should pay special attention to violence directed at Israel just as we would pay special attention to violent, a violent attack on a member of our extended family. Oh, there's a logical step stretch right there. After all, we are grafted onto the promise made to Abraham. He, then he cites Romans eleven seventeen. Our Lord Jesus was and is a Jewish man from Galilee. Rage against the Jewish people is rage against him. And because we are in him against us. I think that that is a very popular opinion of of people that support Israel in our country that are it is one hundred percent, and it's a very much evangelical uh, point of view. Yeah, it's, it, it's been my point of view for most of my life. I get it. What irked me, in particular, was we should support them because they're a liberal democracy. Who the hell cares? But I. But it's still like, I, I don't like. I don't like that. Can I point something Israel out? Israel wasn't Israel. I don't like the argument where you're sitting there and you're like, well, this is Abraham's country. This is the way God had provided for it. And I was like, um, if you're a Protestant, um, no. I was like, it was, uh, if you're Jewish and you want to cling to this, you can cling to it all you'd like. Um and mm. so, therefore, you you mm-hmm. have that. That's that's your religion. No, the idea of this is our, oh, this, is yeah, our yeah, yeah. this is our land. This is our territory. If you are a Christian and you are recognizing that that is because again, if you're sitting there and saying that Jesus was a Jew or blah blah blah, that means that 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 place that area has way more power and way more significance than. It should ever have in your heart, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that it's awesome and it's cool if you want to go to Israel and see where Jesus walked or see where Paul went or whatever. Completely. 100%. But you missed the fucking point if you're going to sit there and be like, this is like some Mecca that we need to make some pilgrimage to and where it's like, this needs to be our territory and this is where our religion needs to have its holy land. No, the holy land is in your fucking heart. Like, that's the thing is, Jesus lives within you. The temple is you. You're the temple. It's It's not this place that we need to go. He was very adamant about that, that this is not a place where you need to be or to go. It's within you. And then you bring it to other people. That is our sacred place is us. Every single person should be that sacred place, that sacred thing that you then take to other people. It's not God wanted with Jesus to break all of that. I think he also wanted us to break Jew and Gentile, and that includes Christians in saying like we have this now special relationship with Jew in in twenty first in the twenty first century. I don't think that's a worldview anymore. That was a that was a fine worldview at the time when Paul is a Jew and was a Jew persecuting Christians, and you have this overlap where there's a split in where you have a split in the church of you've got to be Jewish and be a Christian in order to be a Christian. And you have Jews who particularly hate Christians who basically have left the faith and gone to this cult, what they would call a cult. 
that is a first century like Christianity and Judaism trying to work out its differences immediately after Jesus' death. We don't need to buy into that in the 21st century. Well, and also like this is a fallacy. I'm supposed to li- I'm supposed to love Jews more than I love uh, Japanese no. or Chinese. No. I'm sorry. I don't even think that's a. I don't even think that's a New Testament. I don't even think the, the words of Paul in other letters would agree with that. Yeah, it, Paul makes it clear: we are neither man, we are the neither woman, we are neither Jew, we are neither Gentile. We are. We do not look. We are not black. We are not white. If we are truly looking through a Jesus lens, we don't look through national racial lenses that then lead to uh, the others, the hatred, the disp- the despising of other people. And I have two, and I have two things that I want to say. One, because I want to double down on your point, is, and that's why it's going to go first. Is that's why what your original point was when you first started this conversation is that you should sit there and you should look at both sides and sit there and say, I want them both to live and I want them both to prosper and I want them both to be. Yeah. I want them both to get along and I want them to both receive my love. Because that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Not one, we're not sit there picking fucking sides. Or whatever. This isn't. We're not watching Star Wars. This no. isn't. This isn't a Marvel's movie where it's like, oh, the Avengers got to win. Stop looking through the world like it's a movie. This is not the Rebels versus the Empire. These are real people, and as I have tried real to make people with real lives, with real lives, and as why why I bring up more the Israeli sins than the Palestinians ones because our country because most people in the because States. everybody knows what the Palestinians do. We gloss over the Israeli ones, and I'm not doing it to make them out to be the bigger demons. My point is, stop picking sides. Yeah. They both have blood on their hands. And again, also, what my second Because point, it's a mess. And the second point I was going to make, which was going back to a further thing where I said about the whole idea about, about for anybody that's a Christian and is sitting there and they're like, well, that's their holy land, and it's what was promised in the Bible. And I was like... Yeah, we don't let the fucking Italians go run around throughout all of Europe and say, well, this used to be the fucking Roman Empire, right. so therefore this is my territory, <laughs> right. bitches. Like, we don't do that. I was like, just because some ancient document said that that was their territory at one point, we don't accept that. Like, no. do we understand that? So if you're sitting there and saying, well, Israel deserves it, and it's like based off of what it says in the Bible – You're dumb. Like, I, I just, I'm like, I get where you get that from because you have personal ties to to Abraham and you have personal ties to Jacob in that, in that struggle and you saw that and you're like, and we're told those stories from kids. We, we have a connection to the Jews that I cannot deny because we've heard their story over and over and over again. The, the, the Christian narrative is about redemption afterwards, but you read about the Jewish story and it's, it is a story of suffering for a long, it is to the, long, long. It is to the point where, despite all of our ranting on this and other the last couple of episodes, and even me us disagreeing with what Russell Moore is saying, I it, the the Jews have been so persecuted. It leads one to believe they are in some strange Entitled, way. Right? Well, no, in one in some strange way, they are God's chosen people, and evil people in the world know it. And it brings about in them the worst. And it brings on bullying and persecution. Persecution, not bullying, but persecution of the Jews. I am open. I'm not discounting that worldview. Me neither. 
And any good Jew would say yes. And we've been tired of being God's chosen people for centuries because like, it's, it's brought nothing but but persecution and and pain against us. So yeah, they're like, they're <laughs> who actually... needs it? <laughs> I want to bring up this last point, particularly if you someone you you are someone who yeah. is. They're actually like actually. Wait a minute. We did some we did some deep searching, and we're actually. The children of Ishmael. So now if you'd like to follow that line, so it's the Muslims. You're right. Those were God's chosen people. All right. Rain your wrath yeah, down upon this, them. We've gotten this whole genetic line not wrong completely. They're, we're the, we're, they're, the, they're the sons of, Israel, of uh, Isaac. Um, okay, one last point. Um, it is... Russell Moore is presenting a very evangelical christian worldview which is we're americans we see ourselves in some way as a fulfillment of the jews and you know we're kind of like this modern god's chosen people in a way he would probably bristle at that but he's deluding himself Um, but that aside we very much have this uh even a lot of evangelicals not not I don't know what percentage the evangelical worldview, the the general worldview of evangelicals towards Israel has kind of evolved over time. But that's probably since the 80s, late 70s, it became very popular in uh, various circles of Protestantism to look at end times. It was very prop, uh, very big in Pentecostal circles, uh, Assemblies of God, the ones that are more spiritual um it was popular even amongst uh, mainline evangelicals uh, thus we had the uh what's the uh, left behind series the very popular tim lahay and then very very awful just worst movies ever tim lahay left behind movie so this idea that that the revelation is going to be fulfilled and we're going to have this armageddon and Revelation is going to be fulfilled, and it's all going to happen where modern Israel is. And we've been very open about it. Meanwhile, politically, uh, Jews have traditionally been democratic in this country. That is pretty much because they give FDR credit for doing what he could to save them. Um, and, you know, you just kind of stay, a lot of people just... You're a Democrat, you're always a Democrat. You're a Republican, you're always a Republican. Um, and there's actually been, I would say, a level of frustration on particularly uh, it, within Republican conservative Christians that they, that why aren't we getting any love? Because we so much support the state of Israel. We love it. We love the Jews. We think they're God's chosen people. And yet they keep voting Democrat <laughs> and showing that they're not really big with the Christians. Colton's giving me a look, not because of what I'm talking about, but the beer. We'll get to that in a second. Um, let me, I'll finish my point. And then, and so why is that? And I've heard two Jewish folks talk about that recently. And I never heard this before. And I've, we'll get into it, but I've been amongst Jews quite a bit because I lived in Los Angeles, so I knew them for various reasons. I, I've met, uh, if you're familiar with who Dennis Prager is, I've met him on multiple occasions. Um, anyway, this was explained to me and it totally made sense. No, it's actually because uh, it's actually because 
uh, Tim watches a lot of Seinfeld. And yeah, all that, that's uh, true. Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> that's, he knows them personally. Um, <laughs> uh, someone explained about a week ago that we don't we don't like Christian American Christian support of Israel because we don't want to be we're we don't like being the fulfillment of their revelation end times prophecy and we don't want to be the ones basically they're like yeah you like us only because you see Jesus is coming which means we get wiped off the face of the earth in this great Armageddon I was like yeah that's pretty much fair You don't have to say anything. It's just, no, it's, I mean it's it's, a good it's, point. it's it's actually it's, really simple for me. I don't I don't believe in that. So there you go. I know you don't. I, and, I, <laughs> I don't. and I used to, and I don't anymore. And so I under, but I understand why a Jew would be like, yeah. Why do you want me to be happy about that? Because I'm familiar with enough with your book to which basically means we all die. And anyway, so enough. yeah. No, no. I mean, well, obviously those people didn't pay enough attention to Romans, so. <laughs> I, I, that's true. I was like, in in the Book of Romans, it says the Jews will receive their reward first, and they will also receive that's their true. punishment that's, first. That's actually that's true. <laughs> I was like, it's. I think that's Romans eleven seventeen. That's the one. Russell Moore. I was like, threw I don't in think, there. I was like, I don't know if they know enough about that book. I don't think enough Protestants know but know enough about that book. What book? Romans, where I guess. Oh, no, they don't. I mean, that's probably the book you and I should do systematically. Romans is the indispensable book. Once you've gotten, once you've gotten to be a fairly good, like you've gotten a good understanding, you're a new Jesus follower, and you're ready to tackle something, Romans is the one to tackle because it's it's a very, it's a very Western book. Yeah, yeah. It is laid out in the way a, a, it is written in a way, particularly if it's a very good translation, but I mean, Paul's writing, Paul is writing in a way that literally shapes Western society for the next 2,000 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the argument by yeah, there's the... Yeah, there's a lot of foundational stuff that comes from, uh, I mean, just so we're clear, a large portion of Paul's writings, 95% of Paul's writing is all foundational stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But because, Romans is... Because Ro- or, or Paul is the... Is... I mean... It's funny that Peter is the rock. Um, is the idea that he's the foundation for which the church will then stand. And Peter will probably kill me when I get to the gates. That's because um, he's the first pope. Uh is the idea that actually it's probably Paul that lays down at, in our world that we live in today. I was like, I, I, there's not enough writings about what Peter did for the church. And I mean, um, I was like, you have Acts, but not to the extent of what we have about Paul and his mission. I think Peter's, Peter's the rock in what he does, and he's just not, he doesn't have time to write it down or he doesn't have a... A squire. A squire to write down his his his, his, yeah, his his actions. Hundred percent. And that's why but I'm saying for us as what we have access to is what Paul writes about is actually 
it is foundational for your faith. Correct. In our world today to where, again, where everybody wants, you know, what are the oldest manuscripts? People want to know what's the legitimacy of them writing it or whatever. Paul is the oldest manuscripts that we have, and we have pretty much close to his first copy of whatever it is that he wrote to where you're only looking at about maybe like 15, 20 years A.D. that we have his first letter um, on record. And so that's that is the oldest book that we have in the new testament as far as like manuscripts go um again that doesn't make the rest of them less real it just means that if you're sitting there and you're looking for those facts and you're looking for that kind of stuff paul's writings are um foundational and again he's trying to build this church um with the gentiles around the world um and it's how we do church and how we believe that we commune with one another and how we accept Jesus Christ as who he is um, yep. and how we interact with him is through Paul's writings. The so, English historian Tom Holland, no, not the actor. The actor, guys, ladies uh, and gentlemen. The Spider-Man historian, himself has He written. is a current historian. You can find him readily on YouTube. He, <laughs> you can find him in the Marvel movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Holland uh, argues that we that Western society is not informed by Aristotle and Pluto. And, Plato and whatnot, we are actually informed by Peter. Peter is the, is, I mean, Paul. Paul is the number one, uh, he is the number, he is the foundational arc of all of Western society. And I think, I think that can, that's a bit of an overstatement, but I think there's a lot of to be said there. I think so, but also I, I still acknowledge Hellenistic. Oh, sure. I still acknowledge Hellenistic influence in, in the world that they lived in. Um, what his argument is, he's taking Hellenism and and uh, synthesizing it with Jesus's teaching, and and so mm-hmm. in the sense that in the sense that in in the sense that we preach a lot of things that are Jesus beliefs that are that were not talked about before Jesus, which like the value of children, uh, the value of of women. And again, we've done a very poor job of living up to those things we preach. But those just ideas didn't really exist before Jesus. Plato and Aristotle, the Hellenists didn't give a shit about children. They used them as sexual objects, and hey. they didn't care about women either. And that's only Luke's uh, interpretation of Jesus, by the way. So, well, that's true. But he was a doctor, so he's probably Hellenistic as well. But anyway, <laughs> well, I'm just saying the. If you go and you read Matthew's interpretation of Jesus, you're like, it doesn't mention any ladies or uh, <laughs> or any uh, children in here. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of the Godel podcast. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review so others can find out about the Godel podcast. And if you think our episodes are too long, Godel. <laughs>